Hi, I'm Roger Griffiths, the Executive Director of The Hub. Welcome to In Conversation with David Frum. On this program, you'll hear big thinker and writer David Frum's exclusive analysis of contemporary events, issues, and ideas for The Hub. In Conversation with David Frum is hosted by The Hub's editor-at-large, Sean Spear. If you're enjoying this program, please visit our website at www.thehub.ca for more great insights into the big issues and ideas driving the public conversation. The Hub's podcasts featuring David Frum are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at The Hub. I'm honored to be back in conversation with David Frum for another installment of our bi-weekly video and podcast series on the key issues concerning Canadian policy and politics. Next week, the Canadian Parliament returns from its summer break. There's plenty of anticipation in the news media and among political circles, particularly in light of a sustained period of polling that shows the Conservatives with a commanding lead over the Liberals. But in today's conversation, we're going to focus on Parliament itself, and in particular, the decision by Canadian parliamentarians to maintain so-called virtual Parliament on a permanent basis, which means MPs can continue to attend sittings and committee hearings virtually and even vote on legislation via an app. I'm keen to get David's perspective on this decision and what it tells us about the state of Canada's parliamentary system more broadly. David, thanks as always for joining us. Great to be back with you. Let me set this up a bit, particularly for non-Canadian listeners and viewers. Canada's federal parliament, like a lot of legislatures around the world, adopted a virtual parliament during the pandemic, which enabled parliamentarians to participate in sittings and even vote virtually. Yet as other legislators, including the country's provinces, restored normal in-person sittings some time ago, the national parliament has been an outlier. It kept up the option for parliamentarians who wanted to participate virtually. Then in June, MPs voted to maintain it on an essentially party-line vote on a permanent basis. The prevailing argument was that it would better enable them to attend events in their ridings, and deal with personal and family matters. The decision hasn't been without criticism. Conservative MPs, for instance, opposed the decision on the grounds that it diminished their ability to hold the government accountable. David, I'll come back to you now. What's your initial reaction to the maintenance of virtual parliament? Do its proponents' arguments persuade you, or do you think parliamentarians should get back to work? Well, if the arguments are true, the government's case is true, then the government hasn't gone nearly far enough. What it really needs to do is abolish MPs altogether. <laughs> and uh, what, I, I don't mean have a dictatorship. What I mean is you have an election and uh, par- a party leader, you have the three party leaders have a debate and then people vote. And then one party leader has 140 votes and another one has 120 votes and another one has 40 votes. And they just cast them like at a shareholders meeting and just dispense with the whole human element because then everyone could stay home. And, and the reason people, you, you're smiling at that idea is because people think, well, what went the people have a role. Parliament exists. And their job is to go to Parliament and do parliamentary things. And even, by the way, to have a check on the leadership, because one of the things that happens, not so much in Canada, but in other democracies, is actually the leader. The leaders have to account to their own parliamentarians. Canada is a, an outlier in the parliamentary world of having absolutely the strongest prime minister and the weakest parliament of compared to Britain, Australia, New Zealand, any related country, the Canadian prime minister has much more power over his parliament than any of those peers do, including, by the way, the power to appoint judges completely unilaterally. Um, This is a step in that further direction because 
when you have parliament remotely, you don't have parliament at all. You don't have debate. You don't have the possibility that the mood of the house could change against leaders. You don't have any possibility that a leader would be caught in a lie in a way that actually makes that leader's own supporters rethink. All of those things are eliminated. It's just, you've just got voting monkeys, which is absolutely, of course, the way most prime ministers, and especially this prime minister, would like the MPs to be. Voting monkeys or replace them with robots or not have them at all. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, different times over the years, they've been referred to as train seals and nobodies. Uh, and we'll, we'll come to um, some of those uh, broader dynamics in, in a minute. But if we can just stay a bit longer on uh, the particular consequences of hybrid parliament. I spoke last year at Conservative MP Michael Chong, who's been an outspoken critic of, of this trend. And, and he said the following, David, quote, ministers frequently aren't physically present in the House or its two dozen committees. They simply zoom in from home. And it not only reduces the decorum and dignity of the House and thereby its authority, because many times they're in their living room in some casual setting wearing casual clothes. It also reduces the accountability because they don't have to be physically present to answer pressing questions. They can often read from scripts on their screen without having the physical cut and thrust of debate. Yeah. Why don't you talk a bit about uh, the consequences for the principle of ministerial accountability? Yeah. So what, what would happen is in a committee hearing, and I, I've, I've participated in a witness as a witness in parliamentary committee hearings. There's already a bad tendency of the people on the committee talking for the sake of talking and not being interested in the answer. This absolutely empowers that kind of behavior, because what will happen is the minister can be remote. The minister can put them on mute, sign paperwork, read email, let, let the MP go on and on. And then when he gets, when the minister gets the signal that it's the minister's time to talk, he unmutes himself and then reads whatever uh, has been prepared for him. Then he puts it back on mute while the <laughs> MPs talk some more and he answers his email. So you, the whole thing, you might as well just skip it. You might as well just skip it and have no, that's that nothing is, there is no transaction that is happening there. The purpose of these encounters, whether in committee or in debate or in question period, is the presumption that these words matter. Um, and uh, so one, you need to make sure that the words, words do matter. And second, you need to preserve the symbolic affirmation that the words do matter. What these virtual hearings, remote hearings do is they, they it's the government communicating to the parliamentarians, just talk, just talk as long as you want. I'm answering my email. Uh, then we've got the vote. We've got our, you know, our, our votes on autopilot. We press the button. We cast the votes. So just, you know, if that's what we're, if if that's what the government wants to do, just be honest. Get rid of the MPs. Assign each party leader a certain percentage of the vote in Parliament, and then they cast it the way the corporate, be the way stockholders cast their their proxy votes in in stock. And if you think that's a terrible idea. Then you have to go back to Parliament where Parliament matters and people can debate and words matter and it is symbolically affirmed that words matter. I want to take up something you raised in your first answer, David, and that is the counterintuitive argument that hybrid Parliament or virtual Parliament may actually be against the, the own self-interest of party leaders of the government itself. As, as listeners and viewers may know, I spent some time in Ottawa. Uh, working for Prime Minister Stephen Harper, it was frequently the case um, that those regular caucus meetings was a mechanism for the transmission of the public mood, of uh, the reaction of party members to government's priorities or, or policies, and, and a means for the party leader to similarly uh, communicate priorities and messages and ideas to, to caucus members. And I think that Part of this story is often underrepresented in the way in which um, the costs and consequences of uh, the decline of, of parliament 
uh, is considered. Talk a bit about the the, the kind of internal benefits of of a, a caucus that is engaged face to face in order to essentially root the government's choices and decisions in the interests of, of Canadians themselves. Well, when you say, I, I think everything you say there is true, but I don't think the party leaders themselves would accept it as true mm. because, because look, I think the last, without being invidious, I think the last prime minister of Canada, who was a great caucus manager, was Brian Mulroney. And, and since then, the, the prime ministers have actually, maybe Jean Chrétien, you know, given part marks, but not really. But most of them, they, they, they deal through the PMO, they give orders, they, they use threats, they use incentives, promotion, threats, punishment. They don't want to hear from their MPs. And, and I think Stephen Harper, you know, we both admire him in many ways, but he, he was not a great caucus manager. Justin Trudeau, not a great caucus manager. They don't, they, they'd rather just skip the whole thing. And yes, as you say, this is ultimately bad for them, but it also ultimately, the active caucus management favors a different kind of leader. One who uh, is, a, is a parliamentary leader, one who can be effective in debate, one who can mobilize people when things are going badly, can command their loyalty. Now, that's something that we haven't seen in Canada in a while because uh, the system is evolving toward basically um, executive control. And parliament and this remote parliament is a huge uh, acceleration toward executive control. As you say, it cuts the executive off from information that the executive would benefit from, but maybe the executive doesn't really want the information, it just wants obedience. <laughs> Let me put the other side of the argument to you more directly. The, the government House leader has argued the following, quote, this should be a signal that the House of the common people is a place where all can run, where somebody who has a family or who has challenges is going to be able to be afforded the flexibility to still represent their communities, unquote. Uh, what do you think of that argument, David? Can a virtual parliament or a so-called hybrid parliament actually enable greater representation in the House of Commons? And what other steps can be taken to ensure that different voices in our society are represented in the House of Commons? Well, that, that is just, that is so ingenious. I really, I, I really like that, that because it says um, that this measure is one that allows all kinds of people, including people who are too busy to do this job, <laughs> to have this job. And I, I think the way most Canadians would think is, you know, the point of parliament is not to provide fulfilling careers for MPs. Uh, the, the point of parliament is to represent the people. And it, it's a symbol of how they can, they do not take parliament seriously. It, you know, this is really not like being an actuary at an insurance company. It is a very, it, it is a, it is a demanding job. And if you're at a stage in life where you're not able to do that job, then you should do something else. And, if, you know, if, if you've got a bunch, if you've got young kids at home and you need to attend to them, do something else. This is not a time in your life when you can do this job because it is it is exacting. And and that, that this attitude is part of the tendency where MPs are underpaid. MPs are understaffed and parliament does not make people feel that they're important. You know, one of the things Michael Chong talked about is how people come to these things in their casual clothes and as as we're doing now. And what this is what we're doing now is a little bit of an illusion. The reason we wear casual clothes, clothes on a podcast is because we know our auditors are probably in casual clothes. If we replicated TV in suit and tie, they would not feel they were getting an informal experience. And somehow the appeal of this is the illusion that actually we we prepare less for this than we would for, or in a different way from the way we do for a TV and not to break any movie magic here, but we don't. But, <laughs> but, but it's a costume. It's a costume for a reason. But 
people wear different costumes in different settings. And the reason people dress up to go to Parliament is to communicate to others and to themselves. This is the most important thing that is happening anywhere in Canada today. And this, this assembly is the most solemn place in Canada. And if you go there in your tracksuit, and if you're allowed to go there in your tracksuit, and if the minister shows up in a tracksuit, that everyone is communicating, eh, this isn't important. And that's the problem. The, the real work is being done over in the civil service buildings at the direct command of the prime minister who regards parliament merely as a grant of power and not as a place where he must answer questions and where he could potentially lose power. Sign up for The Hub's free weekly newsletter and receive our best analysis and insights on the big issues and ideas transforming our world. Each Saturday morning, we will send you a compilation of our most interesting and thought-provoking analysis and commentary, along with original news reporting on the people and events driving the public conversation. You can grab the Hub's complimentary weekly newsletter right now by becoming a free Hub member. Do that at www.thehub.ca. Again, www.thehub.ca. Grab your free email newsletter and membership. Act now. Just in that vein, David, Politico has done some analysis of MP attendance in the past few years, and some members of parliament spent fewer than 10 sitting days in Ottawa between 2021 and 2022. Uh, so as you say, both as a matter of substance and a matter of symbolism, it, it seems to me it represents something of an erosion of the principle of representative democracy. I want to zoom out a bit, though, because it was the prime minister's father himself who once famously or infamously referred to members of parliament as, quote, nobodies. Talk a bit about the broader state of Canada's political system and what we can do to empower members of parliament more than they, they currently are. Yeah. Well, the, the trend toward executive control probably really does accelerate. I don't, the, the divergence between Canada and on the one hand and Britain, Australia, and New Zealand on the other probably does trace back to the Trudeau years. And it does trace back to his very high-handed style of government. And it also ha- tra- uh, traces back to, I think, some of the weakness of the opposition parties of those years. They couldn't, uh, in other parliamentary democracies, the opposition parties were strong enough to stop these trends. And in Canada, they, they were not. So uh, Canada lacks, I mean, some of the some of the checks that you would have, I think one maybe at this point in Canada, one of the most important checks would be to take the choice of judges out of the hands of the prime minister. And there are a lot of ingenious ways to do that. But there needs to be some hands-off committee uh, that is that is drawing up lists. And the judges, the prime minister should not be in the line of, of selection for judges who are interpreting the constitution that that you need something like that second i think it's really important to do to bring back some measure of something that canada used to have that britain still has in modified form which is the ability of the parliamentary caucus to force if not a replacement of the leadership then at least the exit of the leadership and that that, that, that in canada uniquely the flow of power is all one way The, the prime minister has power over the mps but the mps have no effective power, unless they were all to desert en masse on the same day and force a vote of no confidence. But that, that, that normally saying, you know, you are losing the confidence of your caucus. That In Canada, that isn't much of a threat, and it needs to be more of a threat. It's very relevant to, by the way, what happens, what is happening right now, because, you know, the Liberals are in a position where a renewal of leadership might really help their chances 
in the next election. And all the people who would like to stay in power after the next election have a big incentive to press for a renewal of leadership, but they have no way to do it. The only person who has a voice in the renewal of leadership is the person who has, you know, it's all what the incentives all flow one way. <laughs> because, you know, if, if, if Trudeau loses, if Justin Trudeau loses the next election, well, he's in exactly the same position as if he quits, he's out of office. And, and who knows, he might win. Uh, so it's all upside, no downside. Whereas for the MPs, it, there's, they might say, well, I, maybe under a different leader, I might keep my seat. And under you, I might lose my seat. And, and that could, in other parliamentary democracies, those MPs get, get hurt. And if they felt that way, they would want to be in parliament. They would know this, this is the place where the action happens. Yes. And, you know, how, why, you know, why would the whole reason I went through, you know, the upheaval and the difficulty and the com competition of running for parliament is to be at the center of action. And then they discover that parliament isn't. Well, that's a problem. Parliament needs to be the center of action. We both spend time in Canada and the U.S. these days. And when I talk to Americans, David, about Canadian politics, they often say they wish their politics were as efficient and orderly. I understand that impulse, of course, but sometimes I wonder if there's a trade-off between the efficiency of Canada's political system and America's messy, yet far more diverse and heterodox politics. What, what yeah. do you think of that? Well, do you remember those in chemistry class, you had those strips that you dipped into the liquid and they turned either blue or pink because they were alkaline or acid? Yes. Um, so the answer to seven, I think it's the scale of seven, that you say, hmm, we're scoring six on the alkaline scale. I guess what we need to do is score six on the acid scale. <laughs> you know, the idea is like, you want to be somewhere in like the, the middle range of alkaline and acid. So Congress and Parliament are very different, and especially the House of Representatives um, is very different. Uh, the House of Representatives, the floor has never been important uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, maybe in the first 20 years of the Republic. The action in the House of Representatives has always been in the committees. And, and yeah, and, and nothing, there's no, and, and the floor is just a trade show. You know, you go out there, you read your two-minute speech, you hope the TV cameras pick it up, no one's listening, and the camera pulls back, they can see the room is empty. Senate's a little different. And, but, but... The House is very, very powerful. It's just powerful in a different way. In Canada, the Parliament is genuinely weak and getting weaker all the time. And that is a, a very different kind of problem. In, in the United States, the executive maybe could use more control over Congress. I mean, and Congress should be more, uh, you know, when does it, it doesn't do budgeting anymore. It just passes continuing resolutions forever. You know, th th there are many, many uh, complaints, but they are really not... And they're things that each could learn from the other. But the thing that if Americans should learn from Canada is you don't want to dispense with your legislature entirely and, and replace it with replace it with voting machines that just tally the results of the last election over and over and over again. Final question. Do you think about the argument that one way to solve the problem is to increase the size of parliament? Is more MPs the way out of the current malaise we find ourselves in? No, that makes the problem worse. That makes the problem worse that, because that makes them even less important. Now, the, the way out of the uh, is double their pay, double their staffs, make the, no no virtual, just get rid of that. You, you have to be there. If, if you want to vote, you have to be there. If you're not there, you're going to have to make your own arrangement to pair off with somebody and get the judges out of the hands of the prime minister and create mechanisms where the caucus 
can force some kind of exit of the leader or at least force a vote on the leader. So the caucus has power to fire the leader, not just the other way around. That would be my solution. Well, it's a lot of fruit for thought, as these conversations always are. David Frum, I want to thank you for joining me, and I look forward to catching up in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to In Conversation with David Frum, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family, and subscribe wherever you get your audio online. We also appreciate your ratings and reviews, so please leave us one. And a friendly reminder that you can access a video version of this recording anytime on YouTube. Simply search for The Hub or The Hub Canada, or go to our website, www.thehub.ca. I'm The Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, The Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub's podcasts featuring David Frum are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation. 